0: Good morning. Thank you. There's people here. Um, hey, uh, I don't normally do this. I don't ever bring my phone up, but there's an illustration later that I want to use. But I want to just share with you. I'm sure you've seen these things. There's lots of things floating around. Uh, some not encouraging. Some are encouraging. So, uh, just a couple of them here. Uh, to I've got these dad jokes in my head, and this might help get me out get get those out of my head. So. Uh, Uh, I've spent the last, this is one that came through, I spent the last six weeks hanging out with myself, and I'd like to sincerely apologize to everyone I've ever spent any time with. Anyone else realize that their car is getting three weeks to the gallon? And then this is my favorite, the quarantine has turned us all into dogs. We roam around the house all day looking for food. We're told no if we get too close to strangers, and we get really excited about car rides. So I don't know if anyone at home is laughing, but Andrew gave me a pity laugh, so I appreciate it. Um, we uh, we're in the book of James, and James is one of those books that some people don't like, and I get it. Uh, I think I think, and I'm not claiming to be smarter than those other people, but I think it's because we we read James' vocabulary with the vocabulary of much of the new the much of the rest of the New Te- Testament, and uh, James is a Jewish man speaking to a Jewish audience who have become Christians. And so some translation needs to take place. I can tell you that Martin Luther did not love the book of James. I have some friends, uh some pastor friends that were told in seminary that that James probably shouldn't be in the Bible. Not because its authorship is in question, but because it seems to be legalistic instead of grace-filled. And I I I just I sincerely disagree. Um I think it is Absolutely full of grace, and we're going to talk about that. And I'm going to give you some ways to maybe translate some of his vocabulary. Uh, I'm not. I'm not changing the intent. I do. I'm a strong believer in the scriptures mean what they meant, but they need to mean what they meant to the original hearers, not us saying what we think they meant. So uh, it's important that we understand the context and the the, the way the hear. For example, when Jesus said. Um, that faith, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's a small plant that grows to be the largest plant in a a, a garden where the birds make their nests and that kind of thing. Um, They they heard that small seed, large plant, but they also knew that that mustard plants in the Middle East were like kudzu is in the Southeast. Uh, It came in and once it gets in, you can't get rid of it. So he was saying that faith is... It, it it pursues you, and once it gets a root in you, it, it it is a pain to get rid of, and James is telling us, let's embrace the faith that God has given us, the grace that God has given us, the perfect law that God has given us, and I'll talk about that in a minute. So I'm going to say a prayer, and then to kind of maybe frame our brains into how we might receive this. Second section of the first chapter of James, I'm going to tell you a story. And then we're going to kind of go not verse by verse, but kind of section by section. Uh, and I hope that you'll find some comfort, maybe some conviction. That's not my intent, but we got some text that said that it was a convicting message. Uh, but mainly, I hope that you hear the truth of God in this. So let's pray together. Lord, you know my, you know my brain. I've got all kinds of things floating around, and I want I want to ask you to think with my brain, uh, to give me your thoughts. I guess is a better way of putting it, so that I'm focused and clear, and you speak to your people, uh, Lord. I, it's your message for us, not my message for them. I ask too that you give me the cadence and the spirit and the either the conviction or the mercy that you want communicated to your people. And you know who they are. I can't see them, but you, you can. In fact, you're with them. And Lord, I ask for everyone listening, whether they're listening live or they're listening later on in the week, that you give them eyes to see what you want them to see and ears to hear what you want them to hear and hearts to receive whatever it is you want to do in them, for them, and through them. I pray this in the name of Jesus, through the power of the Spirit of God that lives within us, for the glory of God our Father. Amen. Now, I have a piece of paper here, and it's got a story on it, and I'm going to be looking down um, so that I, the author is unknown, but I want to make sure that, that his story is accurately reflected in what I'm saying. So I'm just going to read it. I left work early. This is first-person story here. I left work early so that I could have some uninterrupted study time right before my final exam in my youth, youth ministry issues class. When I got to class, everybody was doing last-minute studying. The teacher, the professor, came in and said that he would review with us for just a little bit before the test. And we went through the review, uh, and most of it was right off the study guide, just like I would expect. But there were some things that we were reviewing that I have never heard of. And uh, when I questioned him about it, he said that it was in the book and that we're responsible for everything that's in the book. And that was kind of hard to argue with. Finally, it came time to take the test. And then the professor said, leave them face down on the desk until everyone has one, and I'll tell you to start. When we turn them over, every answer on the test was filled in. The bottom of the test, uh, the bottom of the last page said the following. This is the end of the final exam. All the answers on your test are correct. You will receive an A on your final exam. The reason you passed This test is because the creator of the test took it for you. All the work you did in preparation for this test did not help you get an A. You have just experienced grace, and the word grace was spelled with a capital A in the middle. He then went around the room and asked each student individually, what's your grade? And do you deserve the grade that you're receiving? How much did all of your studying for this exam help you achieve your final grade? Now, again, the author of the story. Now, I'm not a crier by any stretch of the imagination, but I had to fight back tears when answering those questions and thinking about how the creator had passed the test for me. Discussion afterwards went something like this. I have tried from the professor, I have tried to teach you all semester that you are a recipient of grace. If I tried to communicate to you that you need to demonstrate, and I've tried to communicate to you that you need to demonstrate this this, this gift of grace, Uh, as you work with young people, don't hammer them. They're not the enemy. Help them, for they will carry on your ministry if it is full of grace. Talking about how some of us had probably studied hours and some just a few minutes, but had all received the same grade, he pointed to the story in Matthew chapter 20. The owner of a vineyard hired a bunch of people, some right at the beginning of the day, some midway through, some right before the end of the day, and he paid them all the same. And some people that, got, that worked all day and got paid the same as those who only worked for an hour, they were upset with the vineyard owner. And the vineyard owner responded on behalf of God and said this, should you be angry with me because I'm kind? See, that's the story of grace, and James is about grace, and he uses some words in this passage. He uses the word religion, which we'll explain in a little while, and he uses the word perfect law. I want you to please keep in mind that when he talks about the perfect law, he's not talking about the law of man and restrictions and rules, but he's talking about the law of grace, which grounds us and changes everything, and it reads like this. First thing he says is, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For a man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil uh, that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Now, a couple of things here. Number one, um, should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. It reminds me of Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln had a quote, and he said this said, "Better to keep your mouth shut and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. I'm a talker, you guys all know that um, but it, James is kind of writing Proverbs here, little quick sayings that are meant for wisdom and help. And he tells us to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because a man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. So let's just ask a couple of questions. One, how often in the last week or two weeks have you had to grit your teeth? Ah, When you're watching the news, or you're reading an executive order, or you're frustrated with your kids, or your spouse is asking you one more time to do this or to not do that, or why do you do this and why do you do that? How often lately has it, has it welled up that just under the surface there's this rage, this anger, this frustration, this, this temperament that you don't love? And let me ask you this question. If, if you have had that anger boil up, I'm not talking about God's anger which sometimes we claim for ourselves, but it's not really true. I'm talking about that just below the surface and sometimes comes out. Let me just ask you this question. When's the last time your anger produced peace? I don't know that mine ever has. What James is saying is if we are people of peace, if we are people of love, Patience, kindness, and gentleness, faithfulness, goodness. Then we should stop and trust that God knows better than we do. So it's a difficult thing to do, but when the anger raises up, it's the old uh, the old thing your grandma used to say: before you say something naughty or mean, just count to ten. There's something to that. James is saying, be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to become angry. If you notice that the anger's coming up, ask yourself this question Is what I'm about to say, what I'm about to do, or how I'm currently feeling, is it glorifying to God? You can almost guarantee the answer will be no if you're honest. Now, it is tough to know what to do in a situation like that. So I'm gonna give you a metaphor. And I'm not, I'm not claiming I've got this. I'm not claiming that I know how you're feeling. I do know that my life, I'm wired a little bit differently than other people. Um, I'm, I'm, I think it, you might call it neuroatypical, but I don't experience a lot of the tender mercies and a lot of the, the, the comfort that other people experience. Um, I do experience everything that's slightly negative as if it's scalding hot. Um, The illustration I use is that my uncle, when he was young, uh, he was in his dad's cowboy boots, and he walked up to the oven. So he was three and was wearing his dad's size 12 cowboy boots, and he walked up to the oven or the stove, and he pulled a pot, and the water, the boiling water that was in it to boil some corn spilled into his boots. He He was severely injured, and he healed just fine over the years, but... But that sense of when someone says something angry or hurtful or or mean, to me, it feels like it's that scalding hot. It just, it cannot be, it, it's just injurious. It hurts so badly. And I've learned over the years, and I'm not saying that I've got this right. I'm just saying that it might be worth considering. I've learned over the years to not stand in the boots and when the water gets poured, to just stay away for a little while. And then later, come back And that water is no longer scalding, but it's tepid. And I can see if there was any truth in what was said without experiencing the anger and the hurt that might have been intended, but probably wasn't. It's just how I experience it. Think of it like this you have a spigot of water, you have it in your sink at, at home, uh, in your kitchen, you have a hot and a cold water. And they, and the old Now they have them on this little thing, this little knob that you, that you turn back and forth to, to kind of find the right, uh, the, the, the right temperature. But think of it like this in the old timey days, back when I was a kid, they had the hot on one side and the cold on the other. If your life right now, if you're experiencing primarily the hot, like scalding hot, if you have to, I've got to put my hands under there, I've got to wash my hands because they tell me to wash my hands, and it's just going to burn. If that's what you're feeling like every time you're with someone, every time you're talking with your kids, with your spouse, you're Zooming with your boss again, whatever it might be, when you're feeling that, just instead of putting your hands under there, take a cup, metaphorically speaking, fill it up, set it aside. If you walk away for one hour and you come back, that water is no longer scalding. You could drink it if you had to. It's the law of thermodynamics. It will cool down. Slow to speak, slow to anger. It's an act of our will. We need to say, Yes, Lord, because He, in His way, is more trustworthy than me in my way. He also tells us this in this passage. He says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. What's, the, what's moral filth and the evil that, 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 that's so prevalent? Well, moral filth, if you wouldn't say it, think it, or do it in front of your mother, it's probably a pretty good gauge. If it's filthy, if what you're looking at or seeing or doing and all those kind of things, if it's not something that you would do publicly, if it's something you feel like you have to hide, James is saying, that's going to burn. Let's get rid of it now. And the evil that's so prevalent, um, there are disgustingly evil things. There are demonic things. There is murder and there is child abuse and there is uh, uh, spousal abuse. There are terrible, evil, horrid, wicked things. And that is... In our world, but it's not the most prevalent. The most prevalent is anger and bitterness and judgment and fear, toxicity, hatred, rage. James, the brother of Jesus, who lived with him his whole life, he says to humbly accept the word planted in you. That boils down to this. I'm going to trust God even when I'm hot. I'm going to trust the God of peace even when I feel wronged. I'm going to choose humbly to say, yes, Lord. And one last thing, slow to speak, slow to grow angry. This is speaking. This is speaking. You'll see in a minute what James says about what we do with our mouths, what we do with our fingers. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and then and and, and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks Intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Now, quick look—we have mirrors everywhere. Our and I'm not not, this isn't a conviction. This isn't a a, a harsh thing to say, but we're a very vain culture. I mean, we take selfies. There's mirrors everywhere. I can't get out of the shower without seeing myself, and I got to tell you. I, I look in the mirror every day. I think I look in the mirror, and, and you probably do too. And I don't always like what I see. A liver spot right here. Uh, my hair, I've got more face to see every year. My hair used to be brown because I look at old pictures of myself, and now I have gray hair. I And and I don't know about you, but if you ever got out of the shower, turned and looked in the mirror and went, hey, I wouldn't change a thing? Most people know. I know that I don't ever want to look at myself sideways. It's just not a pleasant picture. So when I look in the mirror, I see who I am, and if I turn around and don't remember who I am, don't remember that I might want to improve myself or not, and not remember it, it. He's not just talking about our reflection. He's talking about if you if you hear the word and don't do it, it's like forgetting who you are. You are the one that Jesus loves. You are the one who God thought it, you were worth. You mattered so much to him that he was willing to die for you. He was willing to make sure that he paid the price that you deserve to pay. And in his word, he tells you that. And he says, here's some ways to behave. Here's some ways to act. Here's some, here's some things that I have for you because I know better than you do. Take them in and say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And if you do what you do, Will be blessed. That means that God will say good things about him. And if God speaks anything, it happens. Let there be light. There's light. Speaks order in the chaos. There's order that comes from chaos. And if he says good things about you and what you do, good things about you will be. He goes on to say, if anyone considers himself religious and does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, includes this. He deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God the Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, on Easter Sunday, I talk to you about the difference between Christianity and religion. Religion is an attempt of humanity to seek after a deity and to appease that deity so that that deity is now appeased and will not harm humanity. Christianity is just the reverse. It's God pursuing us and seeking us and wanting to do for us, not to, not to ask us to appease the deity, but to communicate to us, the creatures, that the creator is pleased So pleased with us that he's willing to sacrifice himself for us. That is phenomenal stuff. When when James talks about if anyone considers himself religious, he's not talking about if anyone thinks of himself as someone who can appease a deity. He's saying if you consider yourself faithful, if you consider yourself a Christian, he's talking to Jews and Jewish people in the vocabulary that Jewish people understand. And these Jewish people who are Christians are now being, being communicated to and, and, and he's saying to them, if you are a follower of Christ and you don't follow Christ, you're not following Christ. It's that simple. How do you follow Jesus? Well, you don't do it by him saying, okay, follow me. And he runs away and you go, hey, I'll catch up later. It means, yes, Lord. You hop up and you walk and you do and you go. Wherever it is that you, he wants you to, whatever it is that he wants you to do, wherever it is that he wants you to go. But faithfulness, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after the disenfranchised, the poor, the orphans, the widows in their distress. And to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Have we polluted ourselves? I don't know. I'm not on Facebook because I was polluting myself with the world. I got so angry with friends years ago, before the last presidential election, that April before that, I just, I'm I'm done. I can't do it. Because I don't have the self-discipline to not be affected by other people's anger or judgment. And I found something out that opinion and fact sound exactly the same. I'm just asking you, Are you being polluted? Or are you being an ambassador for Christ in your home? Are you speaking the the policies of Jesus, the King that reigns over all? Are you speaking and acting the policies of God in your household, online, with your neighbors, with your enemies? See, the law of humanity, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to keep a tight rein on my tongue because I have some opinions about some of the things that have been out there, some of the orders and laws and edicts. But James knows that the law of man changes behavior. It's like when I was a kid and I was growing up and, we traveled to Georgia. This is when my dad was still living with us. We traveled to Georgia in, from Grand Rapids, Michigan to Albany, Georgia. It's right about 1,000 miles. And back then, it took 20 hours. And uh, we were in, six of us, in a Ford Tornado, two-door. It was awful. Listening to um, Jim Croce and the Carpenters and Helen Reddy a lot on an A-track. Well, my brother Fred and I didn't get along very well most of the time, and there was this line in the upholstery that he was not allowed to cross, as far as I was concerned, and I would call him out. Fred, cross the line! Well, he's poking me. No, I didn't. He pushed me. No, and, and and just and my daddy. Oh, bless his heart. He would like you boys don't make me come back and all that kind of stuff you know and the and the whole and then I would get upset and I would start to uh, 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 kind of cry and, and he would you better stop that crying before I give you something to cry about one time my mom on the way to Cedar Point told us that she was going to pull the car over if we don't stop our fighting and we're like yeah whatever she pulled over she pulled over, and this is back in the day when corporal punishment was kind of normal. I'm not trying to get her in trouble, and we deserved it. We were both teenagers, but she got me and my brother Fred on the side of the road, almost like we're getting arrested, and she gave us a spanking, and some guy in a, in a, in a field came up on a tractor and stood by, the, stood by the barbed wire fence right by the road, and my mom thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to get in trouble, and he yells out, and I'll change the words, give him a heck, lady. You know what she changed? She changed our behavior in the car so we didn't have to turn around and not go to Cedar Point. She did not change our heart. She did not change our motive. I was still angry with my brother. The law of man changes behavior. It restricts action, but it does not change hearts. The law of grace changes everything. It makes it so that I'm no longer a slave to myself. But now, I'm alive and free in Christ. The one who made me sets me free so that everything is different. And my call, my duty, my responsibility, my response is not to appease the deity who's already pleased with me. Instead, it's to humbly accept what he's done for me and say, you know better than I do, yes, Lord. So, when I want to be angry, I should listen. When I want to be immoral, I should listen. I should humbly accept the grace that God has given me and say, Not what I want, Lord, but what you want. And it doesn't matter if you're a dad or a mom, a husband, or a wife, a three-year-old, or a 17-year-old. It doesn't matter who you are. God wants you to produce fruit. And the fruit is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. James is speaking primarily here about the self-control thing. But it's not absent of grace. It's because of it. Last thing. If you've looked on the bulletin, you'll see that my title of my message seems to have absolutely nothing to do with the message. Let me just leave you with this. It just changed a lot over the... The law of man changes behavior. And it's temporary. The law of grace is like gravity. It's a different kind of law. And it cannot be denied. What happens in Michigan might be different than what happens in Indiana, which might be different than what happens in Colorado or California or uh, Oklahoma or Texas. Those are temporary things that come from man. Gravity holds everything where it's supposed to be. It makes everything work the way it's supposed to work. And if we didn't have it, we're doomed. The law of grace, the perfect law that lives in us, that can save us, that James is talking about, is the law of grace. Everything is different. So don't look at yourself and forget whose you are. Be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to anger. Don't get filthy Love the Lord your God and love the people that you're with like you love yourself. Let's pray together. Amen. Lord, thank you that we're not you. I would not want to be a part of a world that I was God over. It is so easy to start thinking that everyone should bend their will to make my desires, to meet my desires, And it is so hard to bend my will to meet other people's desires. And you call us to love. You call us to peace. And you call us to represent you in a world that's angry and scared. Lord, give us the strength, the humility, the wisdom, and the peace To represent you well in our homes, at work, on Zoom, online, and just when we're alone with you. We pray this in the name of Jesus, the most powerful name in the universe, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead who lives in us, for the glory of God, the God of the universe, our Father. Amen.